title for you this morning, Living Stones. Living Stones in the Living Stone. Living Stones in the Living Stone. I want to start this morning by asking you whether you know the following people that will come up. And if you know who it is, just sort of shout out their first name. Here's the first one. (laughs) Who's that? Probably feels a little bit like that this morning, don't you think? Anyway, moving on. How about this one? Sam Kerr. Hmm. Do you know this person? Who's that? Some of you don't know. One of the most famous. Starts with a K and a K. Kim Kardashian. Okay. Two more. That's Steve, hey? Yeah. Mark. And how about this person? Do you know who that is? Ah, he's a nobody. No one knows his name. No one's got a clue who he is. Have you ever wanted to be famous? Come on, be real. Have you ever wondered what it must be like to have everybody on the planet know who you are? Really? How about if everybody in Western Australia and Australia knows who you are? How terrible if no one knows who you are. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says this, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But I want you to know this morning, Christian, that you are personally and intimately known by the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, Christian, you were intimately and personally known by the Father before the foundation of the earth. And what we've discovered in this series on, 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 on who I am is that as Christians, we have been chosen by the Father for the Son. And because we've been chosen by the Father for the Son, we have been chosen for every spiritual blessing in Christ. And because we've been chosen for every spiritual blessing as Christians, we've been chosen to be justified, chosen to be forgiven, chosen to be adopted, chosen to be resurrected, chosen to be set free, chosen to be redeemed, chosen to be glorified. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And then 10,000 reasons. And evermore. And how do these blessings come to us? How do they come to us? They come to us through the gospel. They come to us through the perfect life of Christ. They come to us through the blood that He shed for us. They come to us through His physical resurrection from the dead. And if you are to ask the reason why, why you? Why were you chosen for these blessings? Why me? Why was I chosen for these blessings? Why were we as God's people chosen for these these blessings? Why? The love, the grace, the mercy, and the kindness of God to you in Jesus Christ. That's it. Why you? 
the mercy of God, the grace of God, the love of God, the kindness of God, to the praise of His glory. Nothing more, nothing less. Nothing of you, everything of Him. Nothing what we did, everything that He did. All due to the unfathomable, incomprehensible, sovereign love of the Father to us in Christ. But this morning I want to put another I want to put another blessing before the eyes of your heart. I want to put another blessing before you for which you were chosen. I want to put another gift of grace before you that if, if we could just taste it, just taste it just a little bit, oh, how transforming it would be. Who am I? Part five. I am. I'll let you fill that in at the end. Two headings, that's all. Here comes the first one. Christ, the living stone. Christ, the living stone. If you've got your Bible, it's there with you in verse 4, diving straight in as you come to him, the living stone. If we've come to Christ by faith, if we've been called by God, chosen by God, drawn to him, when we've come to Christ, we've come to the living stone. And if you look at verse 4, you'll notice it says two things about that stone. Number one, it was rejected by humans or rejected by men. And the second thing it tells us is that the stone, though rejected, is chosen and precious to God. And let me open this up for you. Peter, the apostle Peter, though he was a a, a, a ordinary fisherman, he was a thoroughbred Jew. And Peter grew up with, with the temple, the Jewish temple, absolutely dominating the Jewish horizon. The temple dominated the Jewish horizon a little bit like this stone dominates the horizon somewhere in the middle of Australia. The temple dominated everything. The temple was the, it was the centerpiece of Jewish religion. The temple was the centerpiece of the old covenant. The, the temple was the place where God had chosen to put his spirit, and there he would, he would dwell with his people. The, the temple was the big stone. So when Peter says that if we've come to Christ, we've come to the living stone, what he's really saying is that we have come to the true living temple. We've come to the true meeting place. We've come to the place where God truly meets with his people in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that Peter's getting at the temple because look at verse 5. Verse 5 where he says we're being built into a spiritual house. We've been built into a spiritual house. Temple would also be a good translation. The living stone is the rebuilt temple of God. It is the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Have a look at this in Mark chapter 13 and verse 1 as we sort of move into this. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. I think it was probably Peter who said that to Jesus. Jesus, look at this building. Look how wonderful it is. Look at the, look at the stones. 
Uh, this picture in front of you is, is a possible reconstructed uh, diagram of, of what that first temple would have looked like, that, that big stone. And, and, and it was a, a magnificent building. It really was. Look, 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 teacher, look how, look how magnificent it is. I wonder if you have uh, spent some time looking at some of the most magnificent buildings in the world that we have today. A little bit of general knowledge. Here we go. Let's see if you know what this one is. The Taj Mahal. It's a, I mean, it's a magnificent building, isn't it? It really is. Used for ill purposes. But how about this one, Caroline? The, the, the Lahu? That one. That one is a beautiful building in Barcelona. Just love the way you swing those words. Okay, here's a here's a. Here's another magnificent building. How about that one? I, I couldn't actually pronounce the name of the center, so it's somewhere in Baku. That's all I can tell you. It's a government civic center in Baku. B-A-K-U. Don't even know where Baku is. Um, let me give you one more. How about this one? Anyone know where that one is? That isn't where? That's in Singapore. That's the La Marina Sands of Singapore. And actually one final one. You know where that is? That is the palace of Versailles. You know, it, it, it's a little bit like that. Oh, Jesus, look at these magnificent stones. Look at these massive, look at this massive building. And, and as, as, as Peter was saying that to Jesus about that temple building, little did Peter know that he was standing next to the most magnificent temple in all of eternity the living stone, the living temple, the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 2, you might remember that uh, Jesus uh, whoops out all the traders from the, uh, from the temple. And, um, and after Jesus has done that, the, the Jews respond to him by saying, well, 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 give us a sign to show us what authority you've done this. And this is how Jesus replies in verse 19. He says, well, destroy this temple. I'll raise it again in three days. It's taken 46 years to build this magnificent temple. And you're going to raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his, was his body. And only after he was raised from the dead, the disciples recalled that. And they believed the scripture of what Jesus had said. The rebuilt temple is the living stone. It is Jesus Christ risen from the dead. And we are to say of Jesus Christ, how magnificent is he? How magisterial is he? How splendiferous is he? How magnificent the Word made flesh. How magnificent the one who came from heaven, from the Father, full of grace and truth and life. How magnificent the image of the invisible God. How magnificent the one in whom the fullness of deity dwells. How magisterial the sinless, the sinless Lamb who sits upon the throne of heaven. How majestic the first and last. How majestic the living one. How majestic the one who has the keys of death and life. How splendiferous is the one to whom every knee will bow and every tongue confess. The living stone, the living temple, the true meeting place between God and man. And if you look at verse 4, notice it says of this living stone, it was rejected by men. 
And in the immediate context, what Peter is saying, obviously he's referring to the Jews and the Jewish leaders that rejected the living stone. Remember what Jesus said in John 2.18? Destroy this temple, right? Destroy it. And that's exactly what they did. To be rejected means to be rejected after examination. So that's what the Jews did. They examined the Lord Jesus Christ. They measured him against their own ghastly system of self-righteousness. They found Jesus lacking and they destroyed him. But God raised him from the dead. Imagine for just a moment, standing in front of one of the most magnificent buildings in all the earth and saying it's rubbish. It's just a pile of, it needs to be destroyed. It's a worthless dump. I mean, how scandalous would that be? The Jews examined Jesus. They found him to be a nobody from nowhere in Galilee. Someone had no credentials. He was worthless. He was like a stone that you just needed to throw on a pile of rubble. Here's how Peter put it in Acts chapter 3, verse 14. He says to them, you disown the holy and the righteous one. And you ask that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. Imagine taking the sinless, beautiful, perfect, righteous, holy son of God, and you treat him like a stone that you kick off the pathway. And then when you're asked, do you want, who do you want released to you? Do you want a murderer released to you? Or do you want the Holy One of God released to you? And imagine crying out, give us the murderer. Give us the murderer. And do we realize this morning that the very same Jesus that the Jews rejected then is the very same Jesus that people reject today? That the way the Jews treated Christ then is the way people treat Him today. Just common rubble. People, famous atheists like Richard Dawkins, when you read what they say about Jesus, this is about as far as they will go. They say like him, well, uh, uh, he may have existed, end quote. He may have existed. Maybe he existed. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he was a good man. Maybe he wasn't. Maybe he did miracles. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he was a prophet. Maybe he wasn't. And when we hear that, there should be something within us that absolutely revolts on the inside. Something that makes us absolutely sick when Christ, the name of Christ, is pillaged and ruined and treated like he's some sort of common rag. Two men walked into the Louvre Museum in Paris. And as these two men were standing there, one of the creators of the museum was standing there listening to these two as they stood in front of this masterpiece of art. And these two were looking at this particular piece, and one turned to the other and said, Oh, I don't think much of that painting. To which the curator replied, Dear sir, if I may interrupt, that painting is not on trial. You are. The world has already assessed the quality of that painting. You only demonstrate the frailty of your measuring capacity. Is it not incredible that people are always examining Jesus, they finding him wanting, when it's the magnificence of Jesus that is always examining them and finding them wanting? 
The magnificent Jesus, when he exposes the pride and the sin and the self-righteousness of people, they toss him aside like he's some sort of common thing. I don't know about you, but that's why when I see cults like the Christadelphians, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, and everything else, when I see them peddling a non-God Jesus, when I see them peddling a non-divine, non-glorious Son of God, there is something that churns in my soul. There is something of a righteous anger that burns inside because they are not proclaiming a magnificent Jesus. They are, not, they are not proclaiming the Son of God who became man, full of wisdom and truth and life. They're not proclaiming the one in whom the fullness of duality lives. They're not proclaiming a pure Jesus who took on our impurity, died a sinner's death, and then rose to the roar and the awe of the angels in heaven. Look at verse 7. Now to you who believe the stone is... Is he? Is he? Is he precious to you? Is he beloved to you? Is he as precious to you as he is to the Father? This is my son whom I love, in whom I am well. Please, is he precious to you? Is he magnificent to you? Is he splendiferous to you? Is he magisterial to you? Is he beloved to you? Is he so well-pleasing and magnificent that there is something inside your heart that wants to burst out in glorious day? See, here's the question we've got to ask. So what, what, what is it? What is, what is Jesus' proclamation? What is gospel proclamation? What does it really mean to speak to people about Jesus? you've got your passage, look down at verse 9. I want to show it to you. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Here it comes. Why? So that you may declare the, the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his life. Christian proclamation, Christian sharing of the gospel is sharing the magnificence of Jesus Christ, the living stone, the living temple. The one who is so glorious and the one who then takes us by his death and resurrection out of darkness and into light. Is that how you think about Jesus? When you talk to people about Jesus, is that what they get? Do they get how precious he is? They get how magnificent he is. Second heading. Christ the living stone. Christians the living stones. Or living stones. So look at verse 5 again. Verse 4 running into verse 5. And this is where we're going to stop. We're not going to get much further. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, chosen by God and precious to him. Look at into verse 5. You also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house. So ask yourself this question. When you, when you come to the living stone, what happens to you? You become what? You become a living stone in the living stone. 
if I can put it this way, when you come to Christ, the living stone, you become part of the spiritual house. You become part of the spiritual temple. We might put it this way. You become a stone in the Jesus temple. Let me try and modernize the analogy. And I realize all analogies are a little risky. Some of the older generation here might remember the old protest song by Pink Floyd. Do you remember it? Please don't start singing it. Just another brick in the wall. I mean, we're just bricks in the wall, but no, no, no. Here's what Peter's saying. Christians are bricks in the Jesus wall. But we're no ordinary bricks, are we? Because it's no ordinary wall. And when we come to him, the, the magnificent wall of, of, of God, we're built into him like spiritual bricks or spiritual stones. And if we're bricks, if we're bricks in the Jesus wall, what that means is that we are united to him. If we're in the wall, if we're in the temple, if we're in the spiritual house, if we're the stone in the bigger stone, it means we're joined to him. We're united to him. It means that we possess the very life of Christ himself in us. Now that means three very practical things at least. Here's number one. Number one, it means that his, if, if his life is ours, if we are in him, if we're united to him, if we're joined to him, one, his identity is ours. Number two, his status is ours. Number three, his life is ours. Let me open this up for you. Have a look at verse four again. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. Christ was chosen by the Father before the foundation of the earth to be the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. We were chosen when? In Christ before the foundation of the earth. And therefore we are to the Father precious as the Son is to the Father. We are precious to the Father. We are loved by the Father. We are righteous before the Father. We are holy before the Father. All of Christ is ours. His identity, His status is ours. If He is loved, we are loved. If He was righteous, we are righteous. If He is precious, we are precious. A little while ago, I overheard a comment by a particular Christian lady. And she said rather heartbreakingly, if only my husband loves me. If only my husband loved me. I want to say to you, brother and sister, this morning, it doesn't matter how battered you are, how battered you feel, how bruised you are, how betrayed you are, how forsaken you are, how rejected you are, how unloved you are, how unwanted you have been or are. There's a brick in the Jesus wall. You are so loved. You are so precious. And you are loved by the Father more than you can even begin to know. And that's why words like Isaiah 43, 1 to 4, have to be read and read and meditated upon over and over and over because we have to hear this as living stones in the living stone. We have to hear this as, as, as bricks in the Jesus wall. Now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, living stone. He who formed you, living stone. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I've summoned you by name. You are mine. 
When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Verse 4, since you are what? Precious and honored in my sight and because I love you. Let's take this a little further. If we are the living stones in the big stone or the living stones in the living stone, we're joined to him and we're united to him. Jesus is always with us. He can never not be with us. Why? Because we are joined to him. I can tell you from personal experience that loneliness is one of the hardest things to cope with in life. Loneliness is a terrible thing. And you might be sitting here this morning and quite honestly, you might be one of the loneliest people on earth. Maybe it's because you're bereaving, uh, grieving and you've been bereaved. Maybe it's because you're a widower or widow. Maybe it's because you're divorced. Maybe you're going through one separation. Maybe it's because you're single. Maybe it's you're living on your own. Maybe you find yourself with not too many friends. But you need to know that Jesus is with you. He's always with you. He can never not be with you. He can't leave you. Why? Because you're what? You're joined to Him. You're united to Him. You're stuck to Him. You're glued to Him. You're chained to Him, if you like, with the unbreakable force of the Holy Spirit. And taking it a little bit further, if you're joined to Christ, listen, if you're joined to Christ, if you're united to Him, if you're the brick in the wall, it means that Christ goes through all the suffering that you go through with you. Isaiah 43, he, because you're joined to him, he's in the fire with you. He's in the deep water trials with you. He's in the difficulties with you. He's in the betrayals with you. He's in the sickness with you. He's in the chemo with you. He's in the loneliness with you. He's in that financial spot with you. He's in it with us, holding us and holding us by his strength. That's why when Paul says, Philippians chapter 4, 13, I can do th all things through Christ who strengthens me. What Paul is saying in context, I can go through all the sufferings of Christ because Christ is in it with me. He's right there holding me, strengthening me. It sounds so cliche to say, but Christians, we do not. We will never walk alone. And we never suffer alone. Because we're joined to the magnificent temple. Like a brick in his wall. Let's go a little deeper. If we're joined to Christ, if we're united to him, it means that his very life is ours. We've been singing about that. We've been talking a little bit about that with the grapes and the vine and stuff. His life is ours. Now listen, if his life is ours, it means that what he went through, what will, that will be ours to some extent as well, right? If his life is our life, then what he went through, we will, we will go through. And when we go through stuff that he went through, we shouldn't be surprised, should we? Here's how Peter put it in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. He said, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you leaving you as an example that you should follow in his steps. 
But now I want to show you a verse that is so beautiful. It's in Peter. I want to show you a verse that brings the whole life of Christ, both in the suffering and the glory together. Because his suffering is ours and his glory will be ours. His life is ours. Take a look at this. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you as though something was strange happening to you. It's not strange when you go through suffering. Why? Because whose life is yours? Christ. Remember? The man of suffering. The man of sorrows. But it doesn't finish there. But rejoice. So rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. You see it? Yes. We participate in his sufferings because his life is ours. And we will participate in his glory because his life is ours. We will appear with him in glory because his life is ours. Therefore, we can rejoice in our sufferings. And we will rejoice when Christ appears in his glory. Let me sum up. And then I'm going to give you one more pertinent application for the thing to think about. To be, the living, to be a living stone in the living stone, to be the brick in the wall, to be united to him, to be joined to him, to have his life in us. For us, as 2 Peter chapter 1 puts it, to absolutely possess the divine nature. We possess the divine nature. It means that his identity is ours. It means his status is ours. It means his suffering is ours. His death is ours. His resurrection is ours. His glory is ours. He is with us in everything. He suffers with us in everything. He can never leave us. But I want to end with this question. What impact does that have on your godliness? What impact does being joined to Christ have on your godliness? Let me show it to you in 1 Corinthians 6. Paul says, Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You realize that if you're a living stone in the living stone, then our bodies are part of the temple of God. Now listen carefully. If we are joined to Christ and our bodies are part of the temple of God, part of Jesus, it means that when we sin, especially when we sin sexually, we're uniting Jesus to that sin. Did you hear that? If our bodies are part of Christ, if we're joined to Him, when we sin, and especially when we sin sexually, we are uniting Jesus to that sin. Brothers and sisters, is that what we want to do? Would we want to unite the glorious, sinless, righteous, holy, beautiful, majestic Son of God to sin? Would we want to do that? May it never be. May it never be. Could we ever pursue sin 
knowing that we are entirely united to Christ in body, mind, and spirit. Could we ever continue to pursue sin and unite him to filth? Here's how 2 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, top of that passage that Angela read. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of any kind. Do you know when you'll continue to rid yourselves of those things continually? You know when, to change the analogy that Paul uses in Romans, you know when it will be that you put to death, continue to put to death, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, sin, sexual sin, whatever it is. That we, we will do that. We will rid ourselves of that continually, and we, will, and we will put to death those things to the point that we know that we are united to the magnificent Jesus Christ. That we are joined to Him. That we are one with Him. That we are in Him and He is in us. And then we will use our bodies for purity. So how would you finish that this morning? I'm just going to give you a couple of minutes to ponder it as I ask the music team to join me up front. Please leave it. Woodry, won't you please leave it up for a moment? Stand and sing.